0: Uh, Hello, everybody. Welcome to Why Did You Read That? My name is Megan.
1: And I'm Peter. That's Peter.
0: (laughs) And we're here to talk about some books with you. That's right. So I have four books, and Peter has four books, and we're both going to pick a couple of the other's books and talk about them. And then we'll talk about the others too, because we just can't help ourselves.
1: Yep. I got my, my four books in giant font on this because I copied and pasted it, and it was giant. And I just left it that way. I'll
0: let, you, I'll let you use that as your excuse.
1: Yeah, I'm going to the eye doctor next week. <laughs> I haven't been since like 2018.
0: It's been a while for me too. I need to go.
1: Yeah, it's uh, finally, you know, their emails have gotten more dire as yeah. the years a
0: little have Getting a little strident. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, before we start talking books, would you like to hear a joke? Yep. Okay. What dog likes to take bubble baths? I don't know. A (laughs) Shampoodle.
1: I was trying to think of dog types and I was like, what sounds like bubble (laughs) bath? But that's good. Shampoodle. That is solid. Yeah, I like it. Okay. I think you're first this time.
0: I think you are correct. Hold on. (coughs) I need to get out
1: a pen.
0: Oh, you're going to take notes? Maybe. You know, we're in my office so I can actually offer you a pen.
1: Yeah, we're in a a different venue. So if this sounds totally off, it's because of a change of venue.
0: Here, I have a holographic crinkle pen. Oh my God. I know, it's fancy.
1: That was like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, undo it.
0: It's uh, the little lever. Whoa. Yeah.
1: I I don't even know how to describe this in words. I know,
0: it's like, it, it crinkles.
1: Yeah, imagine a pen that's like covered in wrapping paper. And you flip a switch and it like crinkles the pen. I'm gonna have to take a video of this to show my partner because she's real into like.
0: Yeah, you can get them online. It's called Crush Metric. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, I double checked, it takes a a specific type of like ink cartridge from a disposable pen. So on the website, it says like if you get this disposable pen, you can take out the ink and put it in this. Oh,
1: so it's like just a normal pen? Yep that you can okay all right okay this i've never felt so fancy and alive
0: (laughs) with my holographic crush pen.
1: i feel very honored too that you gave me this pen instead of a crap pen i like to share i used to when i worked here at the library and you know was like public facing and stuff i always had two pens on me (laughs) because one was for me and one was for like inevitably when someone asked to borrow one and I'd be like, all right, they can borrow this one cuz if I don't get it back, that's not a tragedy.
0: Well, if you were just some rando, who'd pop their head into my office, I wouldn't have given you that pen. You'd
1: be like, I'm going to hide this holographic pen really? in my shoe. Here's
0: my junky plastic <laughs> pen that only works half the time. <laughs> all right. So here's what I have. Okay. First off, I have a graphic novel called The Night Eaters by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. Okay. And it is about basically a haunted house across the street. All right. It's um, distinctly Asian flair. Like, I can't tell if it's Chinese, Japanese, or a combination, but it's got that, like, vibe going on.
1: Marjorie Liu did a series. Monstrous. Monstrous. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, which won a lot of awards, if I recall correctly. Okay, the yes. The Eisner, I think. That was a
1: pretty popular one.
0: Yeah. Uh, next up, I have Audienceology by Kevin Getz. And Kevin Getz is um like the guy in Hollywood who test does test marketing for films. Oh. So like um they bring in audiences to see rough cuts of films and he diagnoses what's wrong with them for the studios and the directors and all of that.
1: So he's the kind of person who's to blame for the Snyder cut fiasco. similar
0: I'm not sure that you could lay that at his feet but he he doesn't tell people what to do he basically shows films to audiences and talks about where they didn't land with the audience
1: oh that's interesting
0: yeah so like they got confused at this part or this um, they felt like it ran too long or um, I don't know he has lots of anecdotes and stuff about about that kind of thing cool yeah then I have a book called Hide by Kirsten White and it is a horror novel about this group of, I think it's 12 people who get brought to this abandoned amusement park in the middle of nowhere. And they're told that they're playing a game of extreme hide and seek. Uh. And two people get eliminated every day and the person, the last one standing, gets $50,000. Um, but it, it isn't necessarily people who are looking for them.
1: Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, when they use words like eliminated in these situations, you're like, what does that mean? The people who
0: are eliminated just don't ever come back. Right. Yeah. 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 Eliminated
1: from being alive. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just rented a hard target from the library. Yeah. The Jean-Claude Van Damme, John Woo movie.
0: Yeah, I don't know it, so.
1: Well, it's one of the many films where it's like, what is the deadliest prey of all? Mm. Man. Yeah specifically jean-claude van damme sure he can somehow do the splits and that will help him not get killed
0: (laughs) okay if you say so
1: and he plays a character named chance boudreaux
0: of course he does (laughs) because that is definitely like a an of that era action hero name
1: yeah they have names that like when you're in the movie, you don't think about it, but then, like, you're watching, uh, what is it, Total Recall, and then you're like, John Matrix? Has anyone ever been named Matrix, ever? Yeah, yeah that's not a real thing. And his his buddy, Steve Calculus. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right.
0: Uh, and then my fourth book is Bird Planet by Tim Lehman. And this one is mostly just really pretty pictures of birds. But it also has some essays about how he found the birds. And it's birds from like all of the continents, including Antarctica. He's uh, done work for like National Geographic and a bunch of documentaries and stuff. And uh, he also writes about um, like ecology and conservation and how the health of the planet's birds reflect the health of the planet overall. And so if you work towards bird conservation, you're like also saving the environment. Okay.
1: Okay. I was like, we have to look back over the last year, because I think you've had a bird book, like, almost every time. Have, made a, have you made, like, a book list of bird books?
0: No, I just like birds, okay?
1: No, I know, but I'm saying you should make <laughs> one. It would be weird and offbeat, but I think that's its appeal, right? Yeah. And the people who are into it would be super into it.
0: I can make, like, a fine-feathered friends book list.
1: There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I can do that. I think we should just start, like, a... You know, a summer reading, but it's just bird books. (laughs) A program for just for reading bird books. I
0: think that we should do this with everybody. And everybody has to make their random obsession book list.
1: That's a great idea.
0: And then you can just have bookmarks with like everyone's weird random obsession.
1: Look forward everyone to our next newsletter when it's my random obsession, a book list. And the first one will be by Megan, (laughs) and it's gonna be about (laughs) birds.
0: (laughs) I could do birds or polar exploration. I'll have you know.
1: Polar expor- exploration is not a weird. That's an amazing hobby to get into.
0: No, it's not a hobby. It's an interest. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to go into well, yeah, polar exploration.
1: That was a poor choice of words. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't either.
0: I've read too much about it to want to actually do
1: it. I was going to say if you've read any one of many books about it, I think that would persuade most people.
0: Yeah it's a special person who wants to actually do it.
1: Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence that polar exploration ended about the time that books became like mass marketable and like <laughs> available to the general public and then they're like, "Wait, what? What happened?" Yeah, particularly. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to be shipwrecked and stuck in the ice and not move for 18 months? Yeah.
0: Get scurvy and potentially have to eat your your shipmates?
1: Yeah. Yep. there's
0: there's nothing up there you know i don't know if you know
1: there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> okay well i definitely i want to hear about audienceology okay because that sounds like kind of a niche nonfiction. It is and those are always interesting and i do like books about movies sometimes more than i like movies so
0: yeah okay so um it's it's a little bit it's got elements of memoir and then it's also kind of him talking about his area of expertise and he and also how like how he got into it. So he starts out talking about how he grew up always wanting to to act. He wanted to be an actor. And he lived in New York, so he w- he was like I'm going to be on Broadway, I'm going to be in commercials and his parents were like not into it. They were like that sounds like a lot of work for us and no, thank you. <laughs> this
1: kind of seems like what the standard operating procedure of parents yep, yep. is like. Are you sure you don't want to do something that, like, you know, we won't have to support you financially? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um,
0: they finally gave in because one day he took a bus into Manhattan and uh, paid for his own headshots and, like, went to a dance class and all of that. And they were like, all right, so you're serious about this, so we'll go ahead and get you an agent. <laughs>
1: Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so he made at like some commercials and um did some theater and stuff like that. And he became a working actor and um eventually moved to California to try like movies and television and he continued to do stage plays. And uh, But he also had, like, an entrepreneurial spirit. Like, he'd started up businesses, like, from the time he was a youth. Like, when he was in high school, I think he started a business. Hmm. I can't remember what it was, but it was like he had insurance. Like, it was an honest-to-God business. Wow. Yeah. So he started feeling like he wanted to try something new and um, was kind of examining his future. And he got a part-time job with this company where he basically, it was this company that did film screenings. And so he had like a clipboard and he would wander through and like identify people of a certain demographic that they could pull after to do like the more in-depth, like um, round table, like the panel. Mm -hmm. They could talk to a bit more. And he felt like he was using both his entrepreneurial, like business mind and his artistic mind Cause he, he felt like he was acting, you know, he was, I always said like really good customer service is a little bit of acting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so he felt like he was doing, he was doing that with the interacting with everybody and getting them to open up. And also there, it was like the business side of the movies. And so he ended up, um, after he ended up like advancing in that company and became like a pretty higher up well-known name. And then that company got bought by somebody else. And he ended up eventually going off on his own and starting his own film screening company. Okay. So now he's like the guy. Like everyone wants specifically him. I guess a bunch of people followed him to his new company to the point where his old company sued him. (laughs) (laughs) But he hadn't signed a non-compete clause. So he was fine. There you go. But um so yeah, he basically people contact him and he very quickly has to arrange for these screenings. And it's like so he has like a theater and then he has to figure out who who to how to how to get his audience. Cause they used to do it, they would just like go on the just radio random, and say like yeah. Hey, if you want to see a movie for free that's you know not out yet, come to this theater, and then whoever showed up showed up
1: right. Then and my grandma is watching Terminator Salvation, exactly. having never seen a Terminator exactly. before, and it's just like, I don't know what is going on. like <laughs> I'm not the target audience for this movie yeah, right.
0: <laughs> so he's trying to get like a like a good representation of a movie going audience focusing on like who's actually gonna go like who who's who are they targeting right. And so he gets all of those people in. It's like a rough cut of the movie. So there's no sound. Um, the music isn't final music. It's, it's like all rough stuff. Mm-hmm. And they show the movie to everybody. And then they all fill out like a comment card. And then they pull the people, you know, that are, that are kind of like more what they're targeting to do a more in-depth interview. Okay. In like a group. And he takes all of the information he gets from them, translates it in his brain, because he says that it's, like, a very sensitive subject. Like, directors Mm. and filmmakers and actors can take it super personally (laughs) when you tell them, you know, what didn't work with an
1: audience. Okay, so this lady said your movie sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I know you put your heart out there and, you know, this thing close to your soul, and it's terrible.
0: Yeah, he said he's seen people punch walls, (laughs) he's seen people vomit, he's seen people cry.
1: (laughs) Do you think you would be more likely to get such horrible feedback that you would punch a wall or vomit?
0: I don't know. I think I'd be a crier. Yeah? Yeah. And I think the vomiting person, it was before the film was shown, so it was nerves.
1: Oh. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I guess it's like a really scary thing. And a lot of the blurbs on the book are from filmmakers who are like, you know, this. it's one of the scariest things that I have to do in my job, and I feel a little less scared when he's in the room. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I so. mean, it would be kind of terrible, especially like the first time. Yeah. Or if you're like, you know how they have like a lot of indie filmmakers who then mm-hmm. they make a thing or two, and then all of a sudden they're making like a Doctor Strange sequel or something. Right. And then you're like, Oh no, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like somebody gave me $40 million to make this movie.
0: He actually talks a little bit about the, the studio versus indie filmmakers. Cause a lot of the, the studio filmmakers, they have a research department and the research department right. contacts him and says, we're ready for a screening. But there, he gets in touch. He gets contacted by independent filmmakers a lot when they have made a movie and they're looking for a distributor uh, um, and they're ho- they are they want to do a screening in the hopes that they'll get, you know, a lot of feedback that will help them find a distributor. Yeah. But they pay for the screening on their own because they're indie.
1: Oh, interesting. Which, yeah,
0: I thought was an interesting tidbit. Things I'd never thought about before.
1: So, like, the indie ones, it's more about, like, how do I sell this movie? Mm-hmm. And the uh, the bigger one is more like... Well, it's like... also about
0: improving the movie, hopefully.
1: Okay. I like yeah.
0: it, and he's he goes around and he interviews people from back in the day
1: uh-huh.
0: about what it used to be like, because uh, they used to it used to not matter so much that they did it kind of fast and loose because they used to open theaters or they used to open movies in like a couple dozen theaters and oh, then it would sure. like expand out and yeah. they they used to not be so expensive, but now. Right. You have you know movies opening nationwide in hundreds of theaters. Right. You have tons of CG that they need to pay for. Like things are expensive now, and once it got expensive, they were like, "We should make sure that this is gonna work before we before we send it out." Okay. So now now it's more mainstream. A lot of times we wouldn't even do it, or they would do it oh, kind of like yeah. like slapdash. Right. Um, but now it's like a big business. It's like a thing that's part of the process. That makes sense. Yeah, and he talks about one of the movies that made the difference was Jaws, which he I was didn't work on. Ask
1: if he names movies and names. He does, and, and stuff. he has anecdotes about specific okay. movies
0: and and talks about specific changes that came out, which I thought I think is really interesting. Yeah, like when they showed Jaws, um, I guess it was Steven Spielberg's like second real movie that he yeah. made, and the first one was kind of like a meh, like it, it did fine, it that... but it didn't do great. Wasn't it's like it the Sugarland like a... Express, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. so.
0: They were nervous, because it was, like, going to be a big release. Yeah. And they showed it to the to the theater, and I guess, um, because if you know anything about the making of Jaws, I guess the shark half the time didn't work, and when it did work, yeah. it looked so fake that everyone was, like, laughing at it. Yep. So they were pretty worried, you know, if this was going to work. Yeah. And then they showed, they did the screening, and... They got some screams and they were like, oh, good, this is going to work, you know, (laughs) Um, to the point where that famous line, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. um, The audience at the screening didn't hear it because they were still like, like freaking out (laughs) from the appearance of the shark.
1: I guess the good thing is like, at that time, I suppose it's not like, unless you, I don't know, you'd been to an aquarium or something. Like I wouldn't have had a whole lot of familiarity with the shark. But yeah, it seems like those animatronics never work yeah. in movies. They're always like, oh, we made this awesome animatronic. And then it's like, it broke on the second day. Yep. We could never make the eyes work. So there was some guy standing behind it, like manually. Yep.
0: <laughs> but they uh, they ended up making a change because of the screening of Jaws. Um, do you know the scene where Richard Dreyfus is um, is diving? They're looking for, there's like a shipwreck that they think was a shark attack. And they're looking for evidence. Yeah. And then, like, the the head pops out of the boat. Yeah. So they got, like, the audience jumped at that part. But um, they had a feeling that they could do better. So they went back and they refilmed that whole scene in Steven Spielberg's, like, accountant's pool. (laughs) 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 Which I'm like, um, this is fascinating to me. And uh, so they waited until it was getting dark. And then they dumped a gallon of water in the pool to make it look a little murky. Uh Or no, a gallon of milk, sorry. They dumped a gallon of milk in the pool, so it looked a bit murky. And they, instead of just having the head like in the boat when he like goes by it, they had like the hole in the boat, and Richard Dreyfuss shines his light in, and it's empty. And then the head like bobs out. Uh huh. And that that's the change that they made, and then they got screams at the second (laughs) screening. So just little anecdotes like that.
1: Can you imagine too? Like, I always think about these side characters. Like you're steven spielberg's accountant yeah and he's like do you think we could use your pool for this thing and i'd just be like oh my god i i had no idea that being i'm gonna
0: put a big boat in the bottom and then dump a gallon of milk in there
1: yeah (laughs) it'll in like a fake corpse and then this guy is gonna be swimming around in it and just like we'll have a bunch of people
0: with cameras like walking across your lawn and muddying everything up yeah
1: yeah Now, like, a decade later, you could be like, they filmed part of Jaws in my pool. That would be, like, a selling point. But at that time, I don't know. Yeah.
0: (laughs) She must have had some sense that he was going to make it big.
1: Must have been, yeah. I guess if you're someone's accountant and you're like, I think this guy's going to be, like, a multimillionaire.
0: And maybe he'll keep using me for his taxes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, how could you not? Yeah. Yeah. At that point, it would have to be like they would have to do some pretty horrible fraud for yeah. me to like move on to You'd a new account. You get at least a few more years. Oh them. yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they even discussed going away, I'd be like, "I believed in you." Yeah.
0: Did you know that they bought the rights to Jaws before it was even published? No, it was a first book.
1: I had no idea.
0: Yeah. So they were pretty nervous about it. Yeah. But then the book was like runaway bestseller. So. Yeah. They put out their uh, their call for an audience, and it was, like, raining like crazy, so they were afraid no one would come. 300 people had to be turned away. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Success. Yep.
1: Huge successful movie.
0: Yeah. It's just basically a lot of, like, information about the inner workings of Hollywood and anecdotes about movies and how movies become what they are.
1: I love that stuff.
0: Yeah. I think you'd probably like it. All right. He made a bet with a guy who made Forrest Gump that it wasn't gonna be a huge that it wouldn't like break a certain dollar amount at the box office, and lost. <laughs> he said it's his biggest embarrassment, <laughs> is the is losing that bet.
1: That one is like a weird. Yeah. It goes like back and forth, I think, because it was like a huge hit, and then I think it had like a reevaluation, and yeah. people were like, "Eh, this is nonsense," and. But then it's, I don't know. It, it is nonsense,
0: keeps... but it's like feel-good nonsense. So.
1: Yeah, I think it's like a movie where when you describe it, or like if you try to describe the plot of it, you're like, yeah. this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my yeah. life. But when you're watching it, you're like, eh, it works somehow. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah,
0: those kinds of movies that hit you in the feels and are like well-made, I think will always yeah. last.
1: Yeah, very watchable.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that's audienceology. I right. recommend it. It's interesting.
1: By some guy named Kevin?
0: Kevin Getz. And he's like the the top guy. He's the one that everyone wants in Hollywood to do this.
1: He's a get. He's a Getz get. Getz is a get.
0: He's one of the gets.
1: Boom. <laughs> Kevin, if you're out there, feel free to use that as a blurb. <laughs> I'm sure he will. <laughs> uh, test it with some audiences. See what they think. <laughs> I think they're going to love it. Okay. Well, I've got my four books here. I'm ready. Um, Three of my four books are kind of like kids' books. Okay. I would say like fifth grade boys would really like them. That's all right. Um, I'm down for that. I don't know how this happened. It just sort of happened. Yeah. So the first one is called The Day My Butt Went Psycho by Andy Griffiths.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Andy Griffiths? Like the Andy Griffiths? Nope.
1: Okay. Okay. Not like the da da da. Right. Da, no, different one. Okay. It's got an S on the end. Oh, okay. And is some other guy. All right. Who wrote the butt trilogy. So not
0: Opie's dad. <laughs> no.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Um, the Day My Butt Went Psycho is in brief about a boy whose uh, butt jumps off his body oh. and, yeah, leads a revolution of butts. Okay. Um, And this is a thing that happens occasionally is people's butts jump off their bodies and the butt catcher has to bring them (laughs) back. But uh, this time things get like way out of hand.
0: (laughs) I can say without having read it that this is definitely one of those books you could give to a nephew at Christmas and it would be a big hit. 100%.
1: 100%. Yeah. <laughs> if I if I was reading this when I was 10, I would be dying laughing. Yeah. Every every like 5 pages I'd be like, this is the funniest thing ever. How did this exist? I am unsurprised. <laughs> um the next one is Rowley Jefferson's Awesome Friendly Spooky Stories by Jeff Kinney. Okay. So that's Diary of a Wimpy Kid guy.
0: What's the say the title again?
1: Rowley Jefferson's Awesome Friendly Spooky Stories. Okay. It's like kind of a spin-off of Diary of a Wimpy Kid is the rally Jefferson okay. series. And this is a book of very short, sort of scary in quotation marks stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a sort of Halloween time uh, and was very amused. Okay. <laughs> um, the next one is called Your Pal Fred okay. by Michael Rex. Um, the way I describe this one is... It's about like a doll who is sort of the reverse of Chucky. He's like a friendly doll, and he's thrown into a sort of Mad Max scenario. Okay. (laughs) And uh, that's the basic premise there. The last one is like a book for grownups. Okay. Uh, It's called Resident Alien by Peter Hogan. Uh, It's a graphic novel. It's about an alien... Who crash lands on Earth. Okay. And then uh, he can kind of disguise himself for most people. And he's disguising himself as like a retired doctor living in a very rural area. But then something happens in the community that forces him to get more involved. And he kind of, it's kind of like Murder, She Wrote, where it's like, he sort of starts to like solving these mysteries because I think he's really bored. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for someone to come rescue right. him. So it's kind of like a, a quaint it's it's almost a cozy mystery. Not quite. It's like probably a little too violent for that, uh, okay. but not by a lot. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. <sighs> Where to start? Let's start with Raleigh Jefferson's awesome, friendly, spooky stories.
1: Okay. So I picked this one up because it was like short, spooky stories for Halloween. And I was like, oh, I could probably read this in like a half hour. And uh, I read a couple of those Diary of Wimpy Kid books, and I think they're very charming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was always my pet peeve that parents would come in and be like, all my son wants to read is Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Right. So, that's all he'll read, which I'm like, that's fine. Yeah, he'll I be mean, fine. if
0: they're reading for pleasure, you're winning.
1: Yes, yeah. If they're choosing to read, I, whatever they're choosing to read is yeah. great. Also, I think they have this nice quality because it's like, the drawings are simple and the writing is pretty
0: simple. Yeah.
1: And so it, I think it would encourage kids to like make their own. Yeah. Version of it. Yeah. It's not like daunting. It's not like I'm reading. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what people want kids to read Huckleberry Finn or something. Right. And I'm like, I I don't know anything about this. Or like Call of the Wild. Yeah. And I'm like, I grew up in the suburbs. I don't know about like starting a fire and wolves and whatever. <laughs> so anyway, this has like a bunch of little stories that are probably like four or five pages long each. Uh, and there's a bunch of super goofy ones. I'll just share a couple of my favorites. Okay. There's, There's one about a guy... He's like a, a middle schooler and he's born just ahead. He has no body, he's just ahead. And then he happens to go to middle school with the headless horseman, who's also in middle school. Okay. So they become friends. Obviously. And then they the dance is coming up at the school. And so everybody's paired up for the dance and they were just gonna stay at home or whatever. But then a new girl comes to the school and they both like her. So they're like <laughs> They come up with the idea to team up, you know, so he'll be the head on the headless horseman's Uh body and then they could take her to the dance. (laughs) A
0: match made in heaven.
1: Yep. And then, you know, (laughs) things take a turn because, you know, one of them likes more than the other and so on and so forth. But it's hilarious. Okay. And the drawings are like absolutely absurd Mm -hmm. because it's just like this head you know, is, like, sitting on the floor or sitting on a table or whatever. <laughs> and you, know, he doesn't get into any details about, like, you know...
0: How did he get up on the table?
1: How is he alive? What yeah. is happening? You know, it's just like, eh. You know, and eventually he's an adult just a head with a mustache.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear he can grow facial hair. Yeah, apparently. Shaving is going to be difficult.
1: I, impossible, yeah, I would yeah. argue. <laughs> I think the uh, the other one I really liked... I don't know why. It was so weird, and I was like, would kids find this funny? I don't know. Okay, it's a story about there's a mummy, and he's like a, you know, a mummy that was taken from Egypt and put in a museum, and so he wakes up, and he's really angry. So he goes on a rampage, you know, and it's like a a minor rampage, but, you know, he's an unstoppable mummy or whatever. Right. And then he, you know, just gets sort of tired of rampaging and, like, lives in an apartment.
0: (laughs) He works out of his temper tantrum.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's, like, it's mostly, like, he runs out of steam. Right. Like, he's still mad, but he's just, like, who has the energy to, like, do anything? Then a second mummy is discovered. But this mummy is, like, really nice and friendly. And, like, everybody loves this mummy. And, you know, the first mummy was, like, not very uh, well-preserved. So his bandages are all falling off and stuff. And this mummy looks really tidy, this new mummy. And so he starts to become like a celebrity and is, you know, trademarks the name, the mummy. And so then, you know, this other mummy is trying to like get in on the action and like branding himself as a mummy. There's... I think three or four copyright lawsuits in this story, you know, between children's book. Yeah. <laughs> between these two mummies who are like arguing over who gets to call themselves the mummy and is a mummy should close enough or like, <laughs> who is the original mummy? That's like what I think the first one does. He calls himself like the real original mummy or something. <laughs> like, so anyway, um, those are my two favorites, but okay. there are several other stories like along these lines. Yeah. Which I'm just like, these are just totally bonkers and like.
0: Like spooky adjacent, but mostly silly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine anyone actually being afraid of any of this. And it's also, it was just fun as an adult to read too. Cause yeah. you're just sort of like, this is just so wacky. Yeah. Like it, it makes no sense, but doesn't attempt to at any point.
0: There's something fun about, you know, not worrying about if it makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's kind of it. Yeah. It reminds me of like maybe some episodes of the Simpsons mm-hmm. where you're like they just hit the gas and it's like if you stop to think about it you'd be like this makes no sense. Right. But they're just like purposely saying like look, if you want a thing that makes sense, you're going to have to look somewhere else right. cuz this is about this. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> So anyway, I would say it was it was like a, a pleasure to read. Yeah, and would highly recommend it. And like you said too about the other one, like if you have like a, a nephew or a niece who's like, a, you know, I don't know, between first and fifth grade, I think they would love this.
0: Cool. Yeah, this is the time of year where people who have kids in their lives but don't necessarily know what they're interested in are looking for. Yeah, ideas. So.
1: And if you were a parent who was like, I have to read, you know, I'm reading to my kids before they go to sleep. I was like, I have to read. (laughs) (laughs) I have this horrible thing I have to do. Um, If you read to your kids before bedtime, this might be a book that, like, you wouldn't hate reading. Yeah. Um, So that's another plus.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've been thinking about potentially revisiting the Babysitter's Club, the original Babysitter's Club books. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I haven't read them since I was but a wee thing.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm like, I wonder what they read like as an adult. And, like, will I get the nostalgia hit out of them that I think I will?
1: You know, I reread a Goosebumps book a couple of years ago. Yeah. Because it had been, yeah, since I was in third grade or something. And it was weird because I was like, I had no memory of it. Yeah. And then it was sort of just like, there was a haunted house. And it's like, yeah, that was real haunted. The end, you know, <laughs> I don't know.
0: I have, I don't know that I'd call it vivid memories of one of the Babysitter's Club books, but I will say that the, I think it's the second one made a distinct impact on my brain. Because hmm. uh, it was about one of the Babysitter's Club girls is babysitting and she keeps getting these hang up phone calls Ugh. and they're scaring her. And I remember being so terrified by the thought of this. And it turns out to be something completely benign. Like, you know, I don't even remember what, but it was something where it was like, and everything was fine, which is what you need when you're that age. But now sure. I would be hoping for like, you know, the colors it's coming inside from the inside the house. The house. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, it, it jump started my horror loving little brain. Hmm. Um, Cause I remember reading it and being like, this is so scary.
1: Yeah, I'd never thought of... I guess, you know, they weren't marketed to me, but just, like, remembering the covers and stuff, I wouldn't have thought of babysitter's clubs as, like, getting into that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, they went into a lot of stuff. Like, I think one of the babysitters has diabetes, and so they talked about that, and one comes from, like, one's parents are getting divorced, so... They hit on a a lot of stuff. And as a babysitter, you know, the idea is that you're in charge of things. And so it talks about responsibility and some of the scary parts of it. Like, you know, what happens if you're home and you're responsible for these kids and Mm. someone keeps calling and hanging up?
1: (laughs) What do you do? Yeah. (laughs) Go get a knife. Yeah. (laughs) Probably not. I'm guessing they had a better suggestion than that.
0: Yeah. I need to reread it because, like I said, it made an impact, but I don't really remember it.
1: That's what they always do in the horror movie. They, like, run to the kitchen and get a big knife, and you're just like, you know what I would suggest? Get the second best knife in the kitchen, because you're going to lose that one immediately, somehow. (laughs) Based on every movie I've seen, you're going to lose that knife, so then you still have the best one available.
0: Well, and you should also pay attention to which knife you're grabbing, because, you know, they're not meant for stabbing. Yeah, true. So you're you're inevitably going to, like, cut yourself on it. Yeah. If you're if you're stabbing something, it's not going to work. So,
1: it's not a good idea. Careful. Yeah. Think about think think about it.
0: Think about your safety first, everyone.
1: Yeah. Think twice grab a knife.
0: <laughs> Don't take our advice. Our no, advice is yeah. terrible?
1: Yeah, if if you're a babysitter getting calls from inside the house, just leave the house. Probably just leave, yeah. Yeah. Just go ahead and leave.
0: Well, and everyone has cell phones now, so it's less dire.
1: That's true. Yeah, I guess, does that work anymore? Like, the calls coming from inside the house? Because it's like, well, I guess that was never impossible to begin with on a cell phone, right? All right. Yeah. You wouldn't be like, oh, my word, it's coming from your location.
0: Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, did my mom lose the remote again?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting text messages from inside the house. Yep. They keep telling me to take out the garbage. Yeah. Now the scary part is I'm getting phone calls on my cell phone. Right. Yeah.
0: Why aren't they texting me? Ah.
1: Oh my gosh! This is the day after uh, the election. Yeah. I'm so glad that I'm done getting texts. I didn't get any. I
0: got so many this year. Yeah, I don't know.
1: I didn't even know some of the candidates going in until, but I was getting so many texts that I was starting to be able to put together who was running against who. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, okay, well, this person really <laughs> doesn't like this other person.
0: Yeah, I'm re- I'm really excited because I, I don't have cable or like broadcast TV, but I do stream stuff and I have some stuff that comes with commercials and ads and stuff. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to not seeing any more election ads. Yeah. They're just, they're just terrible.
1: They are pretty, uh, they seem poorly researched, I guess. And well, like, just I weird. Mean,
0: they have a, a specific aim in mind and it's to get you to vote based on your emotions. And so they're poking at your emotions. And I, my response is, you don't know me. Yeah. I
1: just didn't like. <laughs> do my I,
0: own research. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I just don't like how it, it would be like if we did this podcast, but we just were like, okay, I wanted to promote you know rally jefferson or whatever. So the way I did that was talking about a similar book and how much I hated it. Yeah. And like this is terrible. This is going to ruin your family. Your child will never be the same. Yeah. You they know? will never
0: pick up another book ever. Yeah. So if you have two brain cells to rub together, you'll pick up this book instead.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, well, that seems a little extreme. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you could just tell me what your what your plans are and yeah. I I'll make a choice. Yeah. I'd prefer that. Yeah, it'd be nice. They should take our example. I don't know why they haven't yet. I
0: don't They've Been either. doing this long enough. If, if only everyone was more like us.
1: I know. It would be so much easier. So much easier.
0: <laughs> All right, hit me with a second book.
1: Oh, man. I think I want to hear about Hyde. Hyde? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it seems like the kind of thing you might get into.
1: I mean, when you were saying abandoned amusement park, yeah. I was like, I'm 70% in already.
0: Well, in the end papers of the book, like when you open the cover and you see the, you know, the, the where it's like off in blue or something. Yeah, yeah. This has a
1: map of mm. the old um,
0: amusement park.
1: Do you like a map?
0: It's Yeah, and it's like a fun map. It's like uh, if you went to an amusement park and you opened it and it has like scribbled notes on it and stuff. Nice. So the the whole idea behind this amusement park, which is called like amazement land or something like that, um, is that when it was opened, people like immediately got lost in it. Like it's all winding paths and tons of vegetation. And so people went in and they just like they they were never able to it felt like make it to like I'm it's not like a place where you're like, I want to go on the roller coaster. And you go to the roller coaster. You just like end up getting swallowed by the park and find things and and go on those rides. And then at the end of the day, they turn on these big like spotlights at the entrance, and everyone kind of stumbles out like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there there's this house at the center of the park that almost no one ever makes it to. And uh, there's a sign on it that it's under renovation and it's never ever open. Uh huh. So. You know, these, these are this is just details that we're given as the reader. And one day, um, this family comes into the amusement park and when they leave at the end of the day, their daughter, their five I think she's five or something, um, is missing and they never are able to find her in the amusement park, and that's why they close down. Huh. So it's like closed down and decrepit for a ton of years, and then you get into like the actual book. That's like the the prequel or the the preface. And then you get into the actual book. The main character that, that you spend most of your time with, is uh, her name is Mac Mackenzie. And she is in a difficult place in her life. Um, you get the impression pretty quickly that she survived something horrible with an abusive parent who may have done something terrible to the family. And uh, so she's living in um, a homeless shelter. And she's really great at not being noticed. And she gets called into the, um, I don't know, the head of the the homeless shelter, Mm -hmm. calls her in to talk to her about something and says, we got this flyer about this competition. It's hide and go seek. And uh, the winner gets 50,000. And I thought of you and I thought you could use it. And so I'm telling you about it. And she's like, no, no, thank you. I don't want people to notice me. But when she gets back out onto the floor of the, the homeless shelter, they have, like, the morning is over. And if you aren't out, you know, by a certain time, like, you can't leave your stuff anywhere. So all of her stuff has been tossed. Uh, even though she wasn't allowed to bring it into this meeting. So uh, it almost feels like a setup to me. Yeah. But... So she's like, well, <laughs> at this point, <laughs> well, I don't really shoot. have a choice.
1: $50,000 would yeah. go away to replacing yeah. the few things that I own.
0: Yeah. So she decides she's going to do it. And uh, at this point, it cuts to, like, everyone's on a bus. All of the contestants are on a bus. They introduce you slowly to all of the different contestants. All of them are at least partially kind of down on their luck or trying to make something. You know, you get the – she has nicknames for everybody, like um, Beautiful Ava, who is – there are two Avas, and one of them is, like, a war vet – and the other one is like an expiring actress. Mm. And then you get um toothpaste commercial. It's <laughs> <He's laughs> like a salesman. And, uh-huh. Um so you get to know everybody and she but she's trying to like stay disconnected and stay unnoticed, because that's kind of the point of this whole competition. And they get to the they get to the amusement park and you get a sense that not everything is as it seems. You know, you everyone falls asleep on the bus mm. and They start to wonder, like, they all drank a bottle of water right before, and they're like, did they drug us? Yeah. And they get to the base camp out, like, at the, near the entrance of the amusement park, and the woman who's, like, their handler or whatever, the one who's, like, reading them all the rules and telling them where the bathrooms are and all that stuff, the day, like, when they're about to go on their first day of hiding, she's, like, getting teary-eyed and stuff. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, so, yeah, then you go into the you, – you get to see some of the park, and it's, like, good and creepy. It's, like, real overgrown and, like, clown statues with their faces, like, of coming off from the weather. And, <laughs> 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 and uh, so you find a good hiding spot. And, and you know, so you're, you're mostly in Mac's point of view, and she will hear, like – what sounds like footsteps, not quite like it, like a person's bipedal footsteps, uh-huh. but also like they're snuffling and like there's a noise and you start to be like, what is looking for them? And uh, the first day you get, so you get one of the the business-minded ones who, like, left her hiding spot to go and tell them why this show wasn't ever going to work because they say they're testing it out for, like, a reality show. Oh, okay. And she's like, I have to go to the bathroom, and this is boring, and I'm going to go tell them why this show won't work. And by the evening, you find out she's out. Right. And then this other guy, he hides in, like, a clown's mouth, which sounds like (laughs) a terrible idea. It's like a doorway. And falls asleep and starts snoring, and he's also out. And they don't, like, their stuff is gone. No one ever sees them again. They're assuming they just got, like, whisked away at home. Right. But as the reader, you're like, yeah, no, they didn't go home. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's basically, like... And uh, the, also the, the showrunner, the woman who got teary, she tells them that if they can find a small leather-bound book in the park and bring it to her, there's, like, a bonus but she won't say what bonuses. <laughs> so you know, you get the sense that there's definitely something going on in this park, and like the townspeople are all a little bit odd in the like attached town. It's for for a defunct park that's no longer open. They they're all still open, and like the town is really well preserved. So you're like, what What's is going this? on
1: here? Exactly. Yeah.
0: So yeah, it's creepy and scary and atmospheric and. You get the sense that there's something maybe not natural happening in the park, and it's my kind of read, especially this time of year.
1: I was uh, listening to a, a show, and a writer was talking about like a way to build sympathy, mm-hmm. and you know he was like a, a way to build sympathy with a character is like if you the reader. Uh, see them as like, oh, you poor fool. Yeah. And, you know, the example he used was like Gone with the Wind because the book starts out with the lady being like, there's not going to be any war. <laughs> and you're like, oh, you poor sweet, you sweet fool. sweet
0: summer child. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about these characters, you know, because yeah. you're like, I have seen the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Hard Target. You know, I have seen and read The Hunger Games, you know. Right. I've seen Battle Royale and you're like, are you not familiar with <laughs> yeah, how these things tend to go?
0: Well, and I yeah. <laughs> you you they they say like this wouldn't make a very interesting reality show cuz we're all just, you know, finding a spot in a roof somewhere and lying down and un- hoping not to move or make a sound for from sun up to sundown. Right. And you're right. That's not interesting to watch. Right. So, well, how does this make sense? They're going to give you $50,000 yeah. to lie on a roof unmoving for the entire day.
1: Maybe something else is happening yeah. here. Something's <laughs> amiss.
0: So, yeah, it's a fun read and it's not very long. Um, it, like, packs a, a good heavy punch in a short number of pages. So
1: Nice. Yeah. I've always, like, so I keep this, like, uh, list of ideas if I ever became an eccentric millionaire. Yeah. Well, if I became a millionaire, in order you, to be eccentric, right?
0: I was like, you're all right, you got the eccentric part already.
1: Yeah. Um, it's because like I don't want to become a millionaire. It seems like the richest people in the world don't do anything eccentric. Yeah. So I would another one I need to add to the list is like buy an, am- uh, an amusement park and like start it and then immediately just let it become dilapidated. Like
0: I mean. You could always just buy Lakeside and give it a year.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Poor Lakeside. 18 months with no pain on that place, I think, would probably just yeah. about do it. Yeah. <laughs> I used to go there once a year for like an event, you know, it was yeah. like a nighttime event or whatever, and I'd always ride the train. And then you get on the far side of the, the lake and you're like basically in the Walmart loading bay.
0: Oh
1: <laughs> you're like eh, this isn't as magical as being at yeah. like Disney World
0: or something. They need to put up like some murals or something to block the
1: view. Even some plywood would yeah. be an improvement. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're just like, I'm basically behind a Walmart right now. Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: oh, poor. all right okay well i kind of want to hear about all of them but i think i'm going to pick resident
1: alien okay so and i gather at some point this was a tv show I don't know if it has the same name on sci-fi,
0: maybe? Okay, well, I haven't seen it, so we'll have to look that up later.
1: I only know this because on the front of the one I was reading, it was like, now a TV series or like the basis for the series or something.
0: So it came first? Yes. I'm going to look it up real fast. I've got my computer.
1: Okay. It could be not out yet, too. I don't know.
0: started in 2021. Okay. And there's a question online, will there be a third season? And they say, yes, sci-fi's picked it up for a third season.
1: Boom. Okay. So our, our hero in this story is an alien who has crash landed on Earth some time ago, like a few years ago. And uh, yeah, he, so he has alien powers. Uh, he can like sort of manipulate people's perception okay. in a, a mass way. And, you know, so when he left his planet, they were kind of like, you know, maybe one person in 100,000 will look at you and see you as you actually appear. Okay. Um, But everyone else will see kind of what you want them to see.
0: Okay. So he doesn't have to, like, put on makeup or anything?
1: Nope. Okay. He just kind of, like, hangs out. And so in the book, he's drawn just as an alien all the time. Okay. Um, And then occasionally people... Can tell or like they're like... Is this a graphic funky. novel or... Yeah. Oh, okay. And they're like, something's kind of funky about this guy or whatever. So he crash landed on Earth. He basically had to... um He, you know, like broke into a mall and like he has alien technology and stuff. So he got cash from an ATM and he stole a bunch of clothes and stuff. And then later on sent them money. <laughs> <from> oh, the...
0: <laughs> so he has a conscience. He
1: does. That's yeah. That's nice. He's totally harmless. Um and so what he's trying to do is just lay low uh until a, a fellow alien comes to rescue him, I guess. And so he gets a cabin in a very rural area and he's just out there and tells everyone he's a retired doctor and he's kind of known as being a recluse and whatever. So then one night, uh the sheriff comes and knocks on his door and is like, "You were a doctor, right?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, we need your help with something. And he's like, oh, listen, I'm retired. You have to ask Dr. So and so. And the sheriff is like, well, that's the problem. Dr. So and so has been murdered. And, you know, we need yeah. somebody to like give him an autopsy and stuff. And like, hot
0: tip if you're trying to lay low, don't be a retired anything useful.
1: Yeah, be something worthless.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm trying to think like, a typewriter repair person. There
0: you go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a perfect one.
1: You're not going to have an emergency. You'll have an occasional (laughs) hipster knocking on your door, asking them to fix their Olivetti. Right. And other than that, you'll be fine. (laughs) Um, So then he goes into town, and he's, like, investigating. And because he's, you know, an alien, and they're more advanced than we are, he can, like, he can tell usually when people are lying to him. Um, He can he knows things about like human anatomy and stuff so he can make some inferences and stuff. So he kind of becomes an amateur detective okay, and is trying to solve the case of, you know, who's, who did this murder. And uh, then another murder happens. So they're like, we have a serial killer on our hands. And so he's been trying to not get involved this whole time, but basically it's kind of a lark for him. Cause he's been so bored, you know? And, <laughs> He's just been kind of like living in his cabin and he likes reading uh, sort of trashy uh, action novels. I don't know what you'd call them. They're like trashy spy novels where they have lots of sex and stuff in them. Right. (laughs) So so throughout the series, the portion that I've read so far, he gets involved in a murder case. Uh, He gets involved in a second sort of murder case where he's trying to exonerate someone because he's... He's sure that that person didn't do it, right? Uh, but he can't. He can't just say I'm an alien. I can tell he's not lying. You Trust know? me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also a faction of government looking for him because okay. they like discovered this wreckage, and then they're like, "This is kind of weird," and then they have footage from an ATM uh-huh. that shows him as an alien, and so. But it's kind of funny too because they're sort of looking for him. But then they're sort of not looking for him for a while because they start to suspect that this is like, let's say they're the CIA. They think this might be the NSA pulling a (laughs) prank on them because if the CIA comes forward with this, you know, thing that everyone's like, you fools, then the NSA will get more money for their budget because the CIA's will go down, you know, this whole, (laughs) it's like a whole intergovernmental political thing. Yeah. So there's kind of, like, that slow burn of, like, raising the tension, though, because they're kind of looking for him, but they're not super urgently looking mm-hmm. for him. So do
0: does he show up as an alien on, on like, all cameras?
1: Uh, yes.
0: Okay, because so, that's problematic in a modern society.
1: Yes. Yeah, and so that's part of why, too, he'd been so reclusive before. Yeah. And he didn't really go to the city very much or do anything like that, you know, so... Um, yeah, that becomes more and more of a problem for him as he gets more into the, you know, regular world, I guess you could call it.
0: I mean, he wouldn't be able to communicate with anyone during the lockdown.
1: Right. Yeah. He'd be, (laughs) he'd be out of luck. Yeah. Um, he also like, you know, he enjoys humans. He's not like totally emotionless. He's not like above humans in that sort of way. He, and so he has sort of just missed having other people to talk to and yeah. stuff. So that's part of it. So then, yeah, and he solves kind of a series of, you know, semi-quaint mysteries. They usually involve a murder, but it's also like, you know, one of the mysteries is he finds out that uh, one of the authors, one of his favorite authors of these trashy spy books... Uh was a local resident, huh. but nobody knows who it was, so he's so trying he wants to, to find out, yeah,, okay. so he's trying to figure out who it was, you know, and it's just just purely for the enjoyment of it, yeah,
0: <laughs> so these murders you said they're not quite cozy, so do the murders happen on the page, or are they like
1: described graphically? Usually, it's like they find a body or something. Okay. I guess I would describe it as like it's not like a gory book or anything like that. Right. There's not, like, a ton of action, but, you know, they'll show, like, a dead body or something. It's maybe, like, watching something like, uh, I don't know. I was going to say something like Bones, maybe, but, you know, that occasionally shows, like, a body and a bunch of slime or something. (laughs) It's not really like that. It'll just be, like, a dead person on a bed or something. Okay. So it's, like... Pretty friendly in that way. I don't know. I felt like it was, this was like the comic book reader slash sci-fi fans version of like the mysteries the old lady solves with her plucky cat. Yeah. You know what I mean? The like Jessica Fletcher. Yeah. Yeah. Where f- this is like probably as close as I'll get to a cozy mystery. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. It There was just something very um, uh, endearing about this alien who gets involved in these mysteries basically because he's bored yeah <laughs> and you know he's just he like can't help himself yeah because he's like oh i'm doing it again <laughs> <laughs> so there's i don't know something sort of sitcom and fun about it yeah and it's kind of episodic too like the sort of the government looking for him they get closer and closer mm-hmm. but it's not like you have to read this all in one go or anything and it you know you can kind of space it out and it still works pretty well cool i dropped your fancy pen it's okay okay i'm back (laughs) that's resident alien
0: okay cool all right so i guess we should go through and talk about the other books that we brought yes more briefly if we can manage it i think so yeah Okay, so I brought The Night Eaters by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. And this is a horror graphic novel. It's pretty new, if not brand, brand new. I'm not sure when it came out, but this year. And there's this family that lives in this house in New York. And the mom is pretty brusque and unpleasant. And the dad is totally friendly and open and nice. Um, And they have this really kind of charming marriage that, I don't know, the fact that they're so opposite and understand each other so well is really kind of nice and charming. And they have twin kiddos, um, a boy and a girl, and they are old enough that they've started their own business, um, but they have moved back home because um, the pandemic has just started and everyone's struggling. So they're living at home, running their business, and um, their mother has a real green thumb and has just gardened the ever-loving life out of their their yard. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, It's just like it's a, a flourishing jungle. And across the street, there's this abandoned house, and it has just been taken over. There's, like, vines. It's your stereotypical, like, creepy abandoned house. Yep. And a friend of the family is a realtor and trying to sell it. And people are justifiably pretty not interested in even going inside. <laughs> <laughs> so, um he's complaining to the mom of this family one day about how, you know, he's going to lose his job if he can't get the commission on this house and all of that. And so she's she's constantly smoking, she refuses to wear a mask. Uh, Everyone else in the public, at least, is wearing masks and she refuses. And so she's kind of standing there, kind of glaring at the house. And then she just marches across the street and starts looking around and goes inside. And uh, there's this abandoned couch and like a rolled up rug with this dark spot on the floor. And on the couch lined up are just like a dozen dolls.
1: Oh, God. Yeah.
0: Just staring forward. At which point I would immediately nope out and just never pretend I'd never opened that door. Yeah. <laughs> but she walks in and she sits on the couch in between this, you know, the line of dolls. And so they're all just sitting there kind of staring forward. And it's like, this woman is different. And uh, then she gets up to go and like walk through the house a bit more. And in the next panel, it's graphic novel. So in the next panel, all of the dolls' heads have turned and they're looking at each other. And they're like, this is horrifying. <sighs> yeah, no good. No. Uh, And she decides that she's going to like deal with all of the plants in this house and um, so that it can be sold and it won't be such an eyesore in their neighborhood. Sure. Um, But this house is not a nice house. (laughs) Yeah. Bad things have happened there. Yeah. As I think you can gather. Yep. So without getting into the whole thing, like that gives you an idea of what you're, what you're in for if you choose to read it.
1: I had a sort of obsession for a while with, porcelain dolls oh i
0: remember i was here for that
1: yeah it was like so we were doing some weeding getting rid of some really old books and somehow i ended up with this collection you know it was like antique doll collection mm-hmm. and books.
0: like character dolls so they weren't oh. like your traditional smiling curly haired no. pretty dolls they
1: were so weird so and then scary the ways they were posed in the photographs was like bizarre yeah like you know there was like I remember one and, and, you know, it was like its leg was popped off and it was like holding its own leg. And yeah. They all they all have these like grimacing faces and stuff. Yeah. I, they were really strange.
0: There was one and she was like surrounded by dismembered dolls and crying. Yes. And I'm like, what is going on in these pictures?
1: There was another one that was getting out of a cradle. It was like stepping out of a cradle and the cradle had a pentagram on it. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on? And then they had in the back... They had pictures of, like, a, you know, turn-of-the-century doll factory. Yeah. And it th- that was, like, the scariest thing. I've, it looked like, you know, Civil War battlefield photos. Yeah. Like, the guys, it was, like, these, you know, guys with mustaches, just, like, with dead eyes yep. looking into the camera while they're making dolls. And it was, like...
0: Yeah, I'm it, sure that's all because, you know, you had to stay so still for photography yeah. at the time. But it comes across as just terrifying.
1: The effect was just awful yeah. and i was like this is the worst thing i've ever seen and yeah. like
0: so naturally you kept the book
1: oh i, I still have them yeah, yeah i know i still have two of them <laughs> at home because i just couldn't couldn't bear to get rid of them
0: yeah they are hidden treasures They're... yeah it's creepy just like dolls. what were people
1: thinking back dolls then Dolls and clowns yeah clowns are pretty pretty creepy and as then well. you got
0: clown dolls
1: yeah that's a whole nother level <laughs> i just don't understand who like how tastes have changed so much that like at that time someone would see that doll and be like yeah that's something i'm going to put right next to where i sleep why i guess
0: if you're really into something then anything that's different is interesting
1: maybe yeah they're like they're like movie critics who've seen too many movies yeah. and so then they just like some weird nonsense cuz they're like at least it's different yeah i guess that's possible yeah <laughs> It makes sense as much as any possible theory of <laughs> dolls.
0: Uh, so yeah, that's The Night Eaters. Uh, and then we talked about Audienceology by Kevin Getz. We talked about Hyde by Kirsten White. Uh, and then my last book was Bird Planet by Tim Lehman. And this is another one of those books that's um, largely just really beautiful photographs. But there are... Essays in there and like anecdotes and stuff like that for anyone who's interested. So, you can just look at all of the amazing photographs, and he has them kind of separated out by region. So you get like Asian birds and South American birds and North American birds, and you know all of the continents. Um, And you can just look at them; they really are stunning. Or you can also read the anecdotes about his travels and about his you know history and how he took the photographs and. Um, why birds are important to the world and all of that stuff. Um, but mostly, like, the the pictures, like, if you have looked at, and we all have seen, like, photographs out of National Geographic, like, yeah. they're really, really beautiful. And so, you know, the fact that he has published a lot of his work in National Geographic should give you an idea of what you're looking at. But there's a lot of unpublished work in this um, stuff that, you know, he would go uh, intending to take photographs of a certain, you know, creature a bird or whatever, and then he would take a picture that was gorgeous but wasn't didn't really fit into the story they were trying to tell and so it would never get published. So that's where a lot of those kinds of things have ended up in this book. Hmm. Um, but it's just beautiful. The birds are kind of strange and wonderful anyway. they're colorful and so the pictures in in this are just really. Really beautiful, like nice. the, the bower birds that like do that weird dance. Oh, and there's yeah. some bird of paradise that dangles upside down to entice a mate. And like, <laughs> so he's got pictures of lots of like, look bird what behavior I could do.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just really, it's really cool. Um, and you know, birds are present on all of the continents and from like really high in the mountains to deserts and. So there are birds everywhere, and he's taken photographs of birds everywhere. Like, I can't imagine how much he's traveled doing nice. this
1: work. That sounds delightful.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. And he starts with um, with Asian birds, because I think he was um, born and grew up in Japan, because his parents were missionaries. And so he talks about how that is part of why he has such a wanderlust, is that, you know, he his parents wanted him to be comfortable as a citizen of the world. And so whenever they would go home to the United States to visit family, they would stop off in like Europe or they would, you know, take a vacation in India or, you know, whatever. And so he had traveled a lot. By the time he was old enough to just travel on his own, it felt like nothing to like buy a ticket to a place he'd never been and travel there, so.
1: Okay, this is a really dumb question. Okay. It's never, I've never really thought before about like, uh, Asia having different birds than yeah. we have. Because I don't know why. Like, I guess, you know, like it seems like we have the same dogs and like mice and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. but I guess birds, they probably would have some different birds. They
0: do. They huh. have some different birds. Like, I'm trying to remember the name of this bird. I should have brought the book with me because I could show you. Cause there's this one bird that really stuck out to me, like so, like toucans. If you think about like jungle birds, yeah, you know those are different. And there's this one bird, and it lives in like Southeast Asia somewhere, and it has a beak that is traditionally beak shaped and large, but it also has like this attachment on the top of it that like goes up their forehead and (sighs) almost looks like a tusk, and it's very colorful. It's but it's weird looking. It's a weird looking bird.
1: It would have been so bizarre to be like a, uh, you know, an explorer back in the day. Yeah. And you would just, every animal you saw, you'd be like, what is that? Yeah. Why, what?
0: Well, when you see like old illustrations of like elephants and stuff, yeah. you can tell that this is one of those things where somebody went to Africa and saw an <laughs> elephant and was like, whoa, that's amazing. And then they, like, went to, like, the Middle East and told someone else about this amazing creature they'd seen called an elephant. And then that person, like, went to Europe and told someone else. And then someone was like, that's amazing, and wrote a drawing of what they described. And it looks nothing like an elephant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, how weird would that be, like, if, you know, the pictures and stuff didn't really exist or whatever. So, like... You're like, I've never seen an elephant before, and then you're like, that's an elephant. That would be so bizarre. Yeah, (laughs) or like a giraffe. I love looking at old illustrations
0: of animals from like far off places that are done by you know traveling Europeans because it's always bananas. Like the what they've drawn is like that that it's not reality.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean at least some animals, you know, like. It seems like most places have their sort of, at least sort of a version of a cow or something. Right. Where you're like, oh, this is a, a muskox. This is a wildebeest, whatever. And you're like, eh, hey, okay, yeah. <laughs>
0: it looks kind of like an ox.
1: Eh, this is a kind of a goat, cow, deer thing. <laughs> but then you get into some of the, you know, like a hippo and you're like... Yeah. I don't, a what do you even call that? Like a slippery bear? Yeah. I mean, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, a kangaroo?
0: What is that? A platypus. People have probably didn't even believe that was real.
1: I still kind of don't believe <laughs> that's real. Because why? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and birds are kind of like that. Some of them are just weird looking.
1: Yeah, some of them are real weird looking. Yeah. I like their weird mating rituals, too. Yeah. Because I'm like, I guess that's impressive to a bird. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because as a human, you're just like, I have no frame of reference. You're like, so is that like a good...
0: You're just like jerking your head around a yeah. lot and like flashing your left wing. like that, That's like attractive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like for the birds, you know, the, the bird is looking at these two birds doing that stuff. And it's like, oh, this one's obviously way yeah. better at it. Yeah. And as a human, I'm like, I can't even tell the difference. Like... <laughs> I don't even know what they're doing. Yeah.
0: Well, I would recommend checking out Bird Planet and looking at some weird birds.
1: All right. I'm into it. Yeah. Okay. I had, let's see. I talked about Rowley Jefferson's Awesome Friendly Spooky Stories by Jeff Kinney and Resident Alien uh, by Peter Hogan. I read uh, The Omnibus Version Volume 1, okay. which we have in print.
0: Is that like the first three?
1: I think, yeah, it's like yeah. the first three trade paperbacks mashed into one. Okay. It's not overly long. Okay. Um, then I didn't talk about The Day My Butt Went Psycho by Andy Griffiths.
0: And I am sad about that.
1: So a uh, a kid's butt, you know, it, the book starts and his butt has left his body and is like jumping out the window. Um, the butts are sort of described as all having like little twiggy arms and legs. (laughs) And, uh, his... So
0: does it leave just like a flat spot?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. If your butt leaves, you have to get a, uh, artificial butt put on (laughs) so that you can use the bathroom.
0: Well, and sit.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Let's be honest.
1: It's kind of described where he gets his fake butt and then all of a sudden he has to use the bathroom. (laughs) Um, and the fake butts are self wiping. So that's good.
0: Oh, that's convenient.
1: So it follows this kid who his butt went psycho and is like leading a butt revolution. And the local butt catcher goes to try and, you know, quell this and doesn't realize he's walking into, like, a stadium full of butts. Oh. And then gets there and is, like, quickly overwhelmed. And the butts take his butt and put it where his face was and take his face and put it where his butt was. Uh Uh-oh. Because the butts are like, we're tired of being at the bottom. We want to be on the top. And, you know.
0: So he's a literal (laughs) butt face. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: So the plot of the book is this kid gets involved with a crew of butt fighters, as they're called, which is like, so you've got your butt catcher. That's your, like, first level of defense. Right. Then you've got your butt fighters who are, like, a more elite team of...
0: Right. For those rowdy butts that will not take it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, So the butt fighters consist of uh, the smacker, who is basically a lady who spanks butts... (laughs) (laughs) There's the kicker, who kicks butts, and there's the kisser, who basically woos butts and, you know, can convince them to do whatever. Yeah. Um,
0: She's like, oh, you're a nice butt. You don't want to do this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is, like, the silliest thing I've ever read. Yeah. You know, and, like, every everything about it you know they they ride on butts for a while you know and the way they attract the butts that they can corral to ride on is they put out like a pink bath mat and the butts are all attracted to it and then they they (laughs) capture them in a net
0: i was gonna ask you why and then i was like don't go there
1: everything in the book is a butt you know like this is a butt gun this is a butt mobile this is like a butt (laughs) a butt plane you know like everything is a butt something um, they have to fight a giant butt. Um, oh my gosh, I can't remember his name. You know, it's like Giganta Butt, butt Gantor or something like okay. that. Uh, you know, and then they're they're trying to get to, to quell this revolution of you know all the butts are like kind of getting out of control. Right. There's butt piranhas. There's poopuses, which is a porpoise but a butt. <laughs> kind oh of, it's. it's nuts right um yeah if you had like a a young relative who thinks that kind of thing is funny which i think like 90 percent of them yeah. probably do yeah i'm sure you find that one that one kid who's just like not into it but they've got to be pretty few and far between yeah
0: well and i think that we all know we all know those kids who tell the fart jokes like yeah that's that's your audience
1: yep <laughs> uh if you ever you know if you have a kid like that in your life this is the perfect book for them. Their yeah. parents will probably kind of hate you for a little while. But at the same time, if they're like having a hard time getting this kid to read. Yeah. I mean, this will get them to read. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Cause it's what you got to do.
1: Yeah. Go for the gross stuff.
0: Go for the like silly stuff.
1: Yeah. That'll get them. It's, it's pretty bizarre. And yeah. I've read a lot of very bizarre books. And this is like one of the more bizarre things. <laughs> like the commitment, the level of commitment to someone doing this and kind of imagining the author sitting there writing this is hilarious.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you seem to have genuinely enjoyed it.
1: Like... I, yeah, it's, you know what? At every turn, it goes for it. Yeah. There's never a point in the book where it, like, backs down from, you know, everything is about butts and farts and, yeah. you know, everything. It commits. It it just goes further every chapter. Like, <laughs> you think it's gone as far as it can because you're like, what else is there to do with butts? And it's like, oh, many more things. Don't you Don't worry. worry. Yeah. They've got ideas. <laughs> so highly recommend The Day My Butt Went Psycho by Andy Griffiths. All right. Uh Oh, and Your Pal Fred by Michael Rex. Okay, so this doll that's basically, like, meant to be a child's companion yeah. kind of wakes up. Um, but some kind of apocalypse has happened. And so there's, like, a big desert. There's, like, giant vehicles. Everybody kind of looks like Mad Max characters. Okay. Um, and there are these two sort of warring factions, you know, led by these two different guys. And so Fred uh, awakens and decides that he's just going to try to um, make these guys be friends again. You know, these warring things. Right. Or make them be friends, I guess. And so, you know, he's like journeying to the one guy's sort of kingdom to talk to him. And, um, you know, he makes some friends along the way. And then he goes to the other kingdom to talk to them. And it's kind of like fred is confusing to most people because he's just relentlessly positive like you can't you can't bring him down yeah and like when they try to punish him it never works because he's just like oh thanks you know this is great and like it's really strange and it's like uh kid appropriate sort of like mad max post-apocalyptic world <laughs> which really shouldn't work but kind of does yeah you know, they have a big battle at the end between the two factions. And so I was like, well, how's this going to work? Like, you can't just have a guy decapitate someone with a giant pair of scissors in a Thunderdome in this kid's book. True. So they, That you know, seems like a bad idea. Yeah. So they just like sl- launch slime at each other and stuff like that, okay. you know. And
0: Do they end up best friends?
1: Uh, I don't want to spoil the end. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. You just have to read it. All right, fine. But it was it was actually really fun to read, and this is another one I would put in that category of like, if you gotta read a book to your kids, mm. um, this is one that would be very tolerable for an adult. okay, like you would probably enjoy it as an adult, and you would recognize those like tropes and stuff. Right. and uh, I found it very amusing.
0: Cool. All right, indulging your inner child this last month.
1: I guess so, yeah, cool. I don't know. something about it. I was just like, I'm gonna read. Read kids' books. (laughs) I like it. Just sometimes, every once in a while, I get curious, like, what's out there? What are the kids up up to? I picked up
0: Sarah Pennypacker's middle grade novel, um, Clementine, Uh and loved it so much that I ended up reading the whole series. Yeah. There's some really good kids' books out there.
1: There are, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, they just end up being kids' books, I guess, because they're, like, easy to read and they're, like, appropriate for children. Yeah, the
0: vocabulary and the sentence length and all of that is for kids. But it doesn't mean that adults can't. Now. You can read that sentence length too. Yeah. I know those words.
1: Yeah, you can quite enjoy it, it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> and then some are not appropriate for any age when the day my boy went psycho, depending on your uh, values, but you know, whatever.
0: There's a book for everyone. There but is. No book is for everyone.
1: That's very true. Yeah. Yep. That's okay. Yeah.
0: That's why there are so many.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad Andy Griffiths did it. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't know if you get a bunch of hate mail or whatever, but like, I'm a fan.
0: <laughs> has he written other stuff?
1: I know he's written three more or two more books. The Butt books are a trilogy. Oh, all right. And then uh, I think he has written a couple. Yeah, he has like a series about, it's called like The Treehouse with 130 Floors or something. Okay. And
0: some more like silly stuff.
1: Seems like some wacky stuff. Cool. Yeah. Seems to be his beat nice so if
0: you do get this as a christmas gift for somebody you got more more places to go
1: that's right that's right you could get more butt books yeah you don't have to stop there yeah maybe too if like
0: and then you can be the cool relative or the cool like yeah older person in their life it's
1: like, yeah they or, didn't I mean... get
0: me you know tale of two cities
1: yeah <sighs> Yeah, or like if you had like a a niece, let's say, and the parents were like, oh, we're tired of her reading wimpy kid books all the time. Get her the day my butt went psycho. And then they'll be like, all right, maybe wimpy kid books are fine. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's preferable.
0: And the whole time she's becoming super literate. That's right. And she's going to do well in school and prove them all wrong. She'll have
1: read all the greats. That's right by the time.
0: <laughs> Just goes to show you, hey, my generation grew up reading like the Sweet Valley High books and we're fine.
1: Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up reading nothing, so. Yeah. There you go. You
0: did come to books later in your life.
1: I did, yeah. it was probably like 22. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty late. It's
0: never too late, though.
1: No, it turns out, you it's okay. You can always become a reader. You can. You can. Yep. And you can always go back and hit the stuff you missed yeah. <laughs> about butts and And go
0: haunted houses that turns out are just haunted houses. And (laughs) then we're just going to live with it.
1: Porcelain dolls. There's a a treasury out there of (laughs) horrifying books about porcelain
0: dolls. (sighs) Just waiting for you to find them.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: All right. Well, on that note, I think we we got through another one.
1: Okay. We did it. Go us. Well, we'll see you next time.
0: Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And next time we will have something special.
1: Yeah, we're either going to do a top 10 from the year or like top gift books to give other people.
0: We haven't decided if we're going to do our year's best books in January or December. Yeah. If you have an opinion, feel free to get in touch.
1: Yeah, if you'd prefer one or the other. (laughs) Because probably if one person has an opinion that they express somewhere online, uh, you'll probably sway the vote. It's true. You rock the vote. It's true. So, yeah, go to
0: our Instagram, and there, Peter usually puts something on our Instagram about the podcast. So just find that post and put your opinion there, and he'll definitely see it.
1: Yeah. Done. Yeah. All right. Cool. We'll see All you right. Next and on time.
0: that note, happy reading, everybody.
1: Yeah. Happy reading. Bye. Bye.